Research, a ho-hum topic, but necessary in all realms of writing. Whether discovering the details that give veritas to your fiction, the details that we shouldn't get wrong on a commemorative occasion, or just adding specific and elaborating details to our nonfiction, humdrum research is totally necessary. Totally! The challenge comes in determining how many of our researched details do we use. Maybe this episode can help. Welcome to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Runes, all from Writers, Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, drive a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. In the last episode, we concluded the Enhancement series. Time for a check-in. M.A. Lee is collaborating with E.D. Runes on short stories, a fusion of historical fiction with fantasy. The series tinkers with the legend of Robin Hood in Sherwood Forest and the dangerous fairies of British myth. Remy Black is working on the third and final novella for her fantasy series Spells of Earth. Both of these projects, Wild Sherwood and Spells of Earth, create challenges, two for Wild Sherwood and one major challenge for Spells of Earth. The Sherwood stories published last month The novellas will publish as summer advances. Remy's novella should publish this summer, June, she hopes. We'll talk about more about these challenges today and in our upcoming episodes. Let's talk about the next focus for this podcast. We finished the enhancement series in the last episode. We looked at multiple ways to manipulate our ideas and words and to craft our writing to become logical or harsh and jarring whatever the context demands. Metaphors and symbols, allusions and allegories, clever repetition, quirky inversions, juxtaposition and antithesis, paradox and irony, ozesis and zygma A to Z. We explained and gave examples and stressed the purpose or uses of all these techniques to stow in our writer's paint box, to practice and to use as needed. As artists paint with color, Writers paint with words, and we shouldn't forget how simple word choice can have a great penetrating effect on our readers. Now that the enhancement series is over, where do we go next? The next focus is best called a mixed miscellany. Every episode will have a bit on fiction, a bit on poetry, a bit on something else. As we move into June, we hope that that something else will be an occasional interview with fellow writers. Let's talk fiction first today, which leads us straight to the challenges that we all, M and Edie and Remy, all of us has faced since the first of the year. One of the challenges arose with the Wild Sherwood series from Edie and M. It's hard to classify these stories, historical fiction and also fantasy. That's not the challenge, however. The first challenge is accuracy with historical detail. Readers for this niche market will be familiar with the Robin Hood legends and with details of the Middle Ages. 
we writers can occasionally plead writer's license in crafting our stories. We're not writing documentaries, you know. Yet we do need a certain amount of historical details to create the settings. Three-legged joint stool, pallet rather than bed, script rather than a tote. These are touches. Discovering them consumes time. Research takes time away from writing, especially when an intriguing detail distracts from our main goal. The greatest temptation with research is to add in everything we've found. Can't do that though. Research takes a lot hand, just as we do with any enhancement. Actually, we should consider research an enhancement. Research is factual details to add realism and historical events and personages that affect the story we're writing. Finding factual details can be a quick dip in for information. Finding the right location for accurate details can be a little tricky. Never rely on fan fiction or gaming related sites. They may be accurate or they may only be accurate for their specific world. The info is out there. We just have to keep looking. When actively using a historical personage or events, then we have to be very specific with our details. Actively using means the personage and or the event becomes part of our writing, not just a one sentence or two sentence mention. Our research may entail interviewing an authority, whether that's a local archer who can tell us all about archery or an email to a forensic pathologist, a talk with a small cub airplane pilot, or a phone call to an accountant about spotting errors in electronic accounting. We may use only a five-minute bit from a two-hour interview, and that's okay. We need all of that background material to understand and build ideas around. A single fact may inspire pages upon pages of a scene or a chapter, or just a sentence inside a brief paragraph, and that's okay too. The last thing we want is to add in many, many more facts and details than we need. Readers can spot when we're padding our word count with the unnecessary, and they won't thank us for it. How do we judge if research is important? It's easy when the research is an element necessary to the plot or character development, but what about other times? When we need a touch of window dressing, it's unnecessary to describe every step a nurse takes when bandaging an arm. If something causes pain, that will go in. If something will come unwrapped at a relevant moment, that goes in. Swabbing with alcohol is only necessary to describe if the nurse wants to infect a needle with bacteria. Emotion, surprise or distraction, relevance to plot or character description. These are the times to use our research. The best check for research, too much or not enough, is the first read-through by a beta reader. Anyone unused to the story, in other words, if they roll their eyes at the research, even after they finish the manuscript, the research leaves. Poetry also has times when research is necessary. This especially occurs when we write occasional poetry. What is occasional poetry? Exactly what it says. Poetry written for a specific occasion, whether a family celebration or a holiday event or a commemorative occasion, all can be opportunities to write a poem and present it. That presentation could be as simple as a coffee for each family member, or more importantly, 
a poem as an inspiration or acknowledgement that makes an event just a fraction more momentous, or a poem read as if it were a speech, as happens at inaugurations, or memorials and special holidays like Thanksgiving or Memorial Day. The occasion can be highly formal, like a graduation or an informal family gathering, and your poem is designed to make everyone chuckle. The hardest thing for any writer is to share is our work. We spend so much time in our heads and at our desk, tapping away on ideas, that we forget the whole reason of writing is to communicate. We would like our brains to communicate with our hearts. Honestly, though, most of us want to communicate our ideas to other people. Special occasions give us that chance. Poets and groups can become addicted to open mic nights. Everyone reads a bit of their ideas. However, sharing with other writers is not sharing with the hardest audience, families, friends, and the greater world. Public ceremonies will stretch any writer's abilities. When writing and performing for occasions, we have three chief elements to remember. One, adhere to the audience requirements. Don't offend the audience. Two, keep to the four requirements of song. What are the four requirements of song? First, poetry should speak clearly. And two, from the heart. Music-driven poetry especially should also provide three, strong lines that capture our imagination. And four, powerful imagery that helps us visualize the concepts or the situations. We'll have more on the four requirements of song in a later episode. The third element to keep in mind when performing and writing for public occasion is to manipulate structure to stand out. Poets who do so can provide copies of their poems to participants. It's like free publicity. All politics is local, a 1930s newspaperman said, and word of mouth is the best marketing. Public ceremonies most often occur for occasions that affect the majority of the population. Labor Day, Graduation, Independence Day, Patriots Day, Memorial Day, Veterans Day. All of those have specific audiences to keep in mind. Remember that first element? Adhere to the audience requirements. Don't talk about death at a graduation ceremony. Don't talk about war at a Labor Day ceremony. Let's consider Independence Day, especially since it's approaching and soon will be upon us. I mean, it looks like all of June and the last of May is ahead of us, but that time will pass so rapidly. July the 4th celebrates our freedoms. We should view Independence Day as more than picnics and fireworks. When thinking about occasional poems, especially poems for Independence Day or other public holidays, it's important to remember John F. Kennedy's statement, we must never forget that art is not a form of propaganda, it is a form of truth. As we write our occasional poems, remember the lessons of rich details and heart-deep emotions, of stories hinted and lines crafted, all to be memorable to our audience. If we want to participate in an official Independence Day or Labor Day or Patriots Day, the first thing to do is contact the organizers and volunteer a poem. Have the poem ready early enough and it might be printed in the official program. Either the event or the program for the event gives us a deadline. Even if the occasion is merely for our family, we have a deadline. Begin by considering the purpose for the occasion. The poem is not for us alone. It's for the people at the occasion. Say we're writing a July 4th poem. 
What does Independence Day mean? Free willing behavior? What I want, when I want, how I want? Places to go, people to see, things to do? Does that describe independence? Not quite. Let's try self-reliance. An early idea on what a democratic republic nation should be. The ideals of ancient Greece the best governance of ancient Rome. A pride in viewing everyone the same because we are the same. A willingness to stand up and be counted when it matters. How about now? Are we describing independence? Closer. On the 4th of July, Americans celebrates its beginnings and all the best that this country comes together to be. Yes, we have problems. Who doesn't? We're working on them. Are you working on your problems? Good. Haven't got any? Think again. Here's a checklist for any poem we write, public or personal. One, find the reason or purpose for writing. Two, identify the audience. Three, select images to use. I always start with seven and then knock out. Four, subtract anything too maudlin. Strong memories defeat smarmy emotion. Five, determine the focus idea to convey. Six, use repetition and alliteration. Audiences listen for keywords. Their minds chain the keys together to build sense. Seven, figurative language works in performance only when it controls the entire text. Extended metaphors will carry more power than simple similes. Eight, subtract anything to modeling. Yes, again. Nine, manipulate the line structure. Ten, practice before performance. To celebrate the USA's independence, I gathered two poems that meet the requirements of the occasion. In looking at these poems, we can see directions for our own attempts to celebrate any occasion. Both poems use tight construction through repetition, the time-honored rhetorical device when constructing any writing for performance. Both celebrate the independent spirit. Walt Whitman is one of two great American poets who can be identified by the appearance of their poetic lines alone. Emily Dickinson is the other. Like the U.S. of A., Whitman sprawls across the continent, celebrating all of us. Dickinson writes compact points with introspective individuality. Three key words when looking at Walt Whitman. Equality, fraternity, liberty. Perhaps the most well-known of Whitman's poems is his I Hear America Singing. Free verse, with his signature catalog of details, who began turning America into the powerhouse of industry that it became in the 20th century. Here it is. I hear America singing, the varied carols I hear, those of mechanics, each one singing his as it should be blithe and strong, the carpenter singing his as he measures his plank and beam, the mason singing his as he makes ready for work or leaves off work, the boatman singing what belongs to him in his boat, the deckhand singing on the steamboat deck, the shoemaker singing as he sits on his bench, the hatter singing as he stands, the woodcutter's song, the plowboy's on his way in the morning, or at noon intermission, or at sundown, the delicious singing of the mother, or of the young wife at work, or of the girl sewing or washing, each singing what belongs to him or her and to none else, the day what belongs to the day, at night, the party of young fellows, robust, friendly, singing with mouths open their strong, melodious songs. How did Whitman craft his poem? The method he used is called the catalog. He lists the series of workers and what they are doing. 
Each worker in his work has a line to himself or herself. These are common people in common jobs, each one vibrant, each one essential for everyone to progress. Men, women, old, young, owner and worker, tough work and fine work, hard work and working at play, morning, noon, at night. The day what belongs to the day, at night, the party. Whitman isn't concerned with the length of the line. The stringencies of our computer screen will alter our actual line lengths. The lines for the boatman and the woodcutter and the women should stretch to their entire length rather than drop down. Whitman gives us pure egalitarianism. The everyday person working hard to enjoy the harvest of his own hands, this is the person that 4th of July speeches should praise. Picnicking, jumping wholeheartedly into games, glorying in the fireworks, this is the poem to celebrate that Independence Day. What's the research for this poem? First, here's something that I spotted that I had never thought about before. He has the shoemaker sitting on his bench and the hatter singing as he stands. I didn't know hatters stood. I didn't know shoemakers sat. So that was a surprise. And that's a bit of research that I would never consider of adding. None of the workers' tasks are described in detail. Yet we don't know the details. We know the job of each because we've experienced a lot. We've seen these tasks. If Whitman did any other research, it was likely to find a variety of workers to present in the poem. A stroll through a riverside town would have given him those ideas. Definitely not ho-hum research, is it? Let's look at Ralph Waldo Emerson. I'm not a fan of him. I have my issues with his life. I have my issues with his essays. Wonderful things to say. Totally could have said them better. I have my issues with his poetry because it's always standard. I'm a lover of free verse myself. Emerson's Concord Hymn is the usual read for Independence Day with its famous shot heard round the world. That poem leaves me cold. His A Nation's Strength stirs the feelings of pride in our country. Here's the nation's strength. What makes a nation's pillars high and its foundations strong? What makes it mighty to defy the foes that round it throng? It is not gold. Its kingdoms grand go down in battle shock. Its shafts are laid on sinking sand, not on abiding rock. Is it the sword? Ask the red dust of empires passed away. The blood has turned their stones to rust, their glory to decay. And is it pride? Ah, that bright crown has seemed to nations sweet, but God has struck its luster down in ashes at its feet. Not gold, but only men can make a people great and strong. Men who for truth and honor's sake stand fast and suffer long. Brave men who work while others sleep, who dare while others fly. They build a nation's pillars deep and lift them to the sky. Emerson writes a simple meter and a simple rhyme scheme, ABAB, in structured stanzas, his structure is simple question and answer. Is it this? Is it that? No, it is not what you expect. He did do a bit of research. He's probably looking for something like a house of cards easily destroyed and stumbled upon whether he heard someone say it or whether he read it. The allusion to the Bible about building on shifting stand or solid rock. He has another allusion. The red dust of empires offers one, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, with the ashes picked up in the next stanza. 
Money, war, and pride cannot keep a nation strong. What then? Only a nation's people. Only those who stand for truth and honor. Only the brave who battle while others sleep. While others may applaud the nation or its elected leaders or its industry leaders, Whitman and Emerson both remind us that nations are nothing without their people standing strong. Neither of these poems were packed with details, yet we have vivid descriptions. Emerson a bit more lyrical than Whitman. Emerson's poem required more planning to determine the focus of each stanza and the details he would emphasize before any research happened, if any did. That's important. It sounds like a by-the-way, but it's actually very significant. Before we research, before we research, we need to have an idea of what we're looking for, the details to be researched. We don't just blindly go into research and start. That's a trap. That's a trap, especially for nonfiction writers. Never research a topic so you can write about it, whether you're writing a nonfiction book or a blog. We research to deepen our knowledge, so always start from what you know. We don't research just to report on our research. That's a sixth grade activity. When we find interesting details, then we can present them and explain why those details are interesting to us. That human connection is all important. Otherwise, it's humdrum research. Humdrum research simply fills the air and space, and the humdrum is to be avoided. This is where we came in, isn't it? Talking about humdrum. Next week, we'll continue Mixed Miscellany, our summer series about crafting fiction, poetry, nonfiction, and more. Inspiration this week comes from Ezra Pound. He says, Good writers are those who keep the language efficient. That is to say, keep it accurate. Keep it clean. And that's our goal of research, isn't it? To keep it accurate. And only to use what we need so our writing is clean, efficient. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.